Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Every company has a story to tell, from the small startup to the large enterprise, and everything in between. This is one of them. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello, everybody. This is Sean Martin, host of Redefining Cybersecurity podcast here on ITSP Magazine. We are virtually on the road as, and at Black at USA 2023, where a lot of cool things happen and all the cool kids hang out. And uh, today's no different with this episode. I'm, I'm thrilled and honored to have Willie Leichter on the show from Cyware. Willie, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Sean. Always, always a pleasure to talk to you, and, and glad to be here. Yeah, we, we've been uh, we've been connected for many years, t- touching on different topics, and uh, you, you have what I imagine is the the pleasure of uh, working in a space that's really hot, threat intelligence, and uh, it's evolved over time, you know, which we're going to get into, which I presume leads organizations to try to figure out: are they making the most? out of their uh, threat intel programs or not, uh, if, if assuming they have one. So we're yeah. going to get into all of that. But before we do that, uh, Willie, can we uh, peek into your journey leading up to Cyware? And uh, sure. why, what, 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 uh, what makes you happy about being there? Yeah, so I've been in many companies in the security space in the last 24 years. And seen a lot, seen a lot of things come back again, <laughs> but um, seems like security is kind of cyclical. But I've been in a lot of different domains in cloud security and authentication, in uh, SOAR, MDR. Um, Cyware is unique and very happy to be here. I think partly because there's a broader vision of threat intelligence connecting to uh, what you do about it, connecting to automation, connecting to collaboration, and really trying to not just talk about we got to get out of the silos, but actually develop tools that help people work across silos, work across enterprises, share threat intel across whole industries. So that's what's exciting to me. And there's, like you said, there's a lot happening here. Um, I think there's also a lot happening at the government level that is also I think giving some impetus, you know, strong shove to companies to start taking threat intel more seriously. And, you know, the promise of threat intelligence is you get ahead of the attacks. You're predicting in some way. You're being proactive as opposed to always being on your heels. Now, nothing's perfect, but that is that is potential of threat intelligence if you apply properly. Yeah, and then maybe that's a good place to, to start. Um, well, there's, there's two parts I want to cover, and we, we we should probably keep them separate. So there's sure. kind of the history of threat intelligence in terms of what it was, what it is, what's inside, how we source it. Um, and then we kind of flip over to, well, how, how have companies traditionally picked it up and used it and ingested it and applied it? So we, we can come to that second, but maybe a, a quick view of, of kind of the, the, the history of threat intelligence, um, from your perspective. Yeah, and I'll, I'll sort of give you the, the brief history in my view, because it goes way back, and there's all kinds of, you know, incredible experts involved. But, you know, the bottom line is companies are not, not nearly enough companies are actually leveraging threat intelligence. 
it's viewed apart maybe because of its legacy that it's kind of a ninja warrior thing you need the smartest people in the world who've you know worked at the nsa and can see through all this noise and and uh, have these superhuman powers to detect and predict and the related also to threat hunting which is often separate but it's certainly related but the bottom line um there's been a generation of tip products threat intelligence platforms they really were only sold to large organizations that have have the wherewithal to specialize teams to kind of do this. But it's frustrating to me that it's always been a step apart, that it's it's something another team does. Maybe you get in an incident, maybe you send it off to them to be enriched, or you do threat hunting if you are, you know, the top enterprises that can afford a specialized threat hunting team. Um, so to me, it's a bit of a victim of its own legacy of, you know, this this mystique that we've got these incredibly smart people who can who can do amazing things. But unfortunately, 70, 80 percent of companies can't afford those superheroes. So they end up putting it on their wish list, but not doing anything about it. And that's what I think really needs to needs to change. Yeah. And I, I think you touch on an interesting point and I don't want to bash the industry, but I, I think we, we were kind of born uh, under the guise of we're, we're special. We know stuff that others don't. Um, yeah. We can decipher things that others can't. And, uh, and therefore, you have to rely on us. And, and if you can't, then you're kind of stuck. And certainly a lot has changed in, in the 30 years that I've been part of this space. And we see a lot of interfaces. We see a lot of analysis. We see the... the injection of uh, artificial intelligence and other mm. other models of, of data analysis coming to bear to help uh, those who don't have, quote unquote, a, a degree <laughs> or decades <laughs> of experience in, in security to make sense of this stuff. And it certainly the landscape isn't lessening. It's growing. Uh, the speed is growing. The scale is growing. And uh, the exposure from the organization is growing. So you described two scenarios briefly. One, one is uh, threat hunting, and the other is post-breach or, or some, some level of attack and enriching, enrichment. Mm -hmm. um, describe those two a little more for me. And, sure. And are there other scenarios that have surfaced? beyond those? Two? No, I think that's, I mean, there's lots of variations, and I think that's a good way to think about it. And, and, really the difference between incidents and potential threats. Now, one of the challenges, of course, is it's a, a scale problem. You know, if you get, uh, let's say, 100 incidents, you know, maybe there's a lot of noise, maybe, but it's something you can get your head around. Um, the world of potential threats is seems almost infinite. So it's, you know, hundreds, thousands of times more data points, potentially, that you need to manage. So it's, it's hard to it's less of a human scale problem. You know, incidents also are becoming not human scale. But I think um, it's certainly more straightforward if you have an incident, if something weird's happening, you see some indicators of compromise, and then you go send it to the threat team and they go compare it to whatever their threat feeds are, their database. And, you know, tip platforms have been used for this. There's other, other ways to do that, you know, bits and pieces. Um, but I think you know, that's so enrichment is certainly important. It's something that needs to happen in an automated way. So it's, you know, it needs to be 
you need to connect these systems. And I think there's been a kind of a gap between, say, SIM products with your incidents coming in, with your alerts. Um, enrichment is sort of a, you know, a secondary step typically with a SIM or with a SOAR product that you need to go call some other tool and, you know, find out, is this a bad IP? Is this something that's known? So that's an important step. But I think more broadly, given AI techniques and the ability to overcome the scale problem now, is it's not that impractical to look for potential threats with a certain profile that could be targeting a particular industry or could be targeting a particular kind of infrastructure. You know, you need to narrow down the whole world of potential threats, but there's a lot of ways to slice it and dice it. And there's a lot of good tools now that can aggregate it, deduplicate it, figure out the context, compare things across many different channels. That's really the, and I think AI, you know, the explosion of AI is, is waking people up maybe to the fact that these things are more practical and you can consume a lot more data, but you can also, you don't have to wait for some indicator of compromise, for some bad behavior to start being, being noticed because reaction times are just too slow. You know, best case reaction times are, you know, take minutes, hours to days when you have a live incident yeah. and they can be worse. So anything you can do proactively to, you know, set yourself up in a better position more defensively, maybe start building some detection rules based on threat intelligence. All those things can, you know, save huge amounts of time and grief if they're applied properly. Yeah. Yeah. And I was chatting with uh, Eric Parizzo from uh, Omdia, and they have mm -hmm. the, the, the Omdia Analyst Summit uh, there at Black Hat this week. And we spent a bit of time talking about proactive security, which is fueled in my in my view, by, by what you just described. So understanding the threat and the exposure, how it maps to your organization and then proactively uh, creating controls and, and rules to look for indicators of conversation. In other words, to try to get ahead of it, as you're describing. So yeah. how, where, where do organizations kind of sit in that regard then? Um, are, are there many, I mean, we can talk about the large enterprise that have been using this stuff for decades. <laughs> are are yeah. they in a, in a mature space? What about as you move down the stack to smaller organizations? Where, where so one of the things that's emerging is that we've seen quite a few partners doing this is uh, threat intelligence as a service. And I think just like with MDR, it makes perfect sense. You know, it still does require more expertise or maybe more experience and putting together the right tools. Um, you know, we are, we're trying to make it as accessible to the mid-market as possible. Um, so there's simpler versions of, of our products and others. But I think Threat Intel as a service, as a starting point is, is, we're seeing a lot of interest in that. And we've got some big partners that are starting to really push that out. Um, the, you know, one of the challenges is there's too much data, like everywhere else, and not just too much threat data. There's lots and lots of availability of threat feeds. There's um, from commercial vendors, from open source tools. Um, the ISACs play an important role. In fact, we work with most of the ISACs in, in powering what they do. So there's lots of available information. But um, I think it's as much about managing that information 
and making it useful, making it contextual, um, contextualizing it for your business um, that makes it makes it useful at the end of the day. And then the other part that that doesn't get much talked about, I think, and, and really been pioneered by the ISACs, frankly, is sharing threat intelligence across communities. And we're very much proponents of that. And the ISACs do a good job of bringing in different feeds, curating it, and sending it out to different people based on, you know, on the TLP threat level. Um, I think that's a really good model that we're starting to see replicated in all kinds of hub and spoke organizations. Um, we've just sold to two of the two of the major sports leagues in the U.S. where they have you know, hub and spoke. They have their teams. They're all trying to centralize threat intelligence. Um, and lots of other organizations where they really want to disseminate it quickly. And I look at it as it's, it's never, when you talk about automating these things, you know, people get carried away with talking about AI. To me, it's not either the humans being involved or the machines. It's how quickly can you alert the right people with the right context so they can take action. And if you take action in a few minutes, that's probably fine as long as it hasn't taken a week for the information to get to you, you can, you can act and you can use your intuition and you can say, no, that was actually some testing we're doing. This other one is irrelevant, but here's the one that we've really got to, we've got to worry about and take some proactive action. So, we, you know, getting the right humans connected to this and making it actionable it, for both humans and, you know, and automated actions. So that, that leads me to two different things. One is, uh, I mean, when you start talking about massive amounts of data, uh, that the dependability of that information, um, are, are you going to start to see what we've seen in, in vulnerability assessment, vulnerability management in terms of false positives or false, false detection, things like that come to mind. But then you, you mentioned the people as well that are relying on this data to make decisions. So hence the dependability, but who, who should have this data? Who typically doesn't get it now so that the team as a group can actually make, make the right decisions at the right time, like you described? Yeah, and this is where silos are, you know, the, a, a huge problem. And it's understandable because different teams use different tools and they're looking for different things. But trying to, and what happens a lot, unfortunately, you may have very smart you know, people who detect new threats, they detect something, they put them in a spreadsheet. Maybe the end of the day, they email it to someone, you know, maybe that person doesn't understand the context and things can literally, you know, this, all the best technology in the world is suddenly bottlenecked by these conventional communication tools and things get missed, things get forgotten. And you've got to be able to translate the data, you know, physically translate it into the right formats, but also then get the right context for the right people. And that's, that's I think, the biggest challenge. Um, we look at it as both um, you know, an integration and an orchestration challenge, that you have to be able to orchestrate anything to anything. And by orchestration, that means, of course, you've got to be able to connect the tools, speak their language, but then you can create workflows, you can create playbooks, you can create things that are less complicated than they sound to get you know, a particular type of, of threat alert comes in that maybe someone in your SOC needs to know about or maybe the CISO needs to know about. Um, these things have to be um, thought through and any workflow, if you come in and people don't have any kind of workflow, even if it's manual and slow, 
it's very hard to automate that. But typically yeah. there are processes, there's things that people do, they're being diligent, but there's bottlenecks that just where it breaks down. Or they're just sending, you know, reams and reams of data that no one else can understand. So getting it into, uh, you know, contextualized, uh, consolidated, so people see what they need to see. And this doesn't happen overnight. This is an iterative process, but machine learning tools can be great here in terms of, you know, just getting the feedback from the recipient. Is this useful? Is this what you needed? Is this too much? And fine-tuning it. And that's, I think that's an area where a lot of progress is being made and people are often surprised by how much context you can build into the information. But at the end of the day, the silos aren't there because people don't want to cooperate. They're there because people are focusing on different things. And it's hard to be, a, you know, it's hard to be a generalist and do everything. <laughs> so right. as your team grows, you need some specialized, some specialized teams. But we, we like this term of cyber fusion. And it comes from, it actually comes from the military where, in the NSA, where they have fusion centers where they get everybody in a room, you know, all of people looking at all these different elements and looking over each other's shoulders, you know, virtually or, or physically and connecting the dots across things because, you know, because people are close physically. And that's been one of our goals is to try to try to replicate that as much as possible by making it easy to orchestrate across any tool and then adding the context as much as possible, enriching things. And then also the communication part of it is often overlooked. Like, how are you going to tell people? <laughs> so, you know, we have tools that, you know, we have a kind of a purpose-built um, communication tool for threats. This is what we've built for the ISACs, and now it's, it's spreading. But that's, you know, that's as important because if it sits there and someone doesn't notice it, doesn't get the right alert, then, you know, then you're waiting days. Yeah, notifications and the story that goes with it are both important. I, I want to touch on the the orchestration bit if we can, because th th that middle piece and and when I say middle, because you, yeah, Cyware are doing bidirectional exchanges yeah. here, and I, I can harken back to my early days at at Symantec building the sim there, and the 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 we had to ingest a ton of information, and what we did. Mm -hmm sadly was enforce a, a structure and a framework that all the providers of the data had to follow so we could ingest mm -hmm. it and understand <laughs> right. it. Uh, there's no way that scales well. And um, yeah. so different data sources, different formats, some with metadata, some without, some with context, some without, some with your interaction with humans, some without, um, it, it's all over the place. So getting that part right, but then allowing systems and and people interact with it on the other side to inform teams and then inform others uh, is a whole other thing. So that if I'm not mistaken, this is kind of where you at Cyware sit to as a platform to help manage all of that at scale. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, very very much so. And we have you know we we touch on sort of each of those parts. You know, interestingly. Um, orchestrating and connecting and understanding protocols and, and APIs, AI is a great tool for that. You know, that's some of the most mundane stuff that's a, you know, a pain for everybody. You know, you get your integration working and then something changes in the API and then you've got to go back to square one. 
So we're actually um, very happy applying AI on the integration side. You know, people talk about in, in our space, in the store space, you know, we have 300 integrations, we have 400. Really, you want to have, you need all the integrations you need. It's, it's, it's a numbers game where really you need to start automating that process of connecting things. And then there's a lot of um, playbooks, run books for orchestration that are pretty repetitive. They all have different twists, but you know, that's also an area where AI can just help, you know, chatbot can just help to, you know, find the most common use case, start with that, tell, ask you what's different, get, gather the data, let you select it, and, you know, save 90% of the time it requires to do this stuff. Um, and it's, it's more mundane than it is, you know, kind of cool AI stuff, but it's where it's really, really important. But yeah, you mentioned, so orchestration, it's still, it's not trivial and it's, it can get easier and it is, but it's still, you know, we've built all this complexity. So now we have to you know, deal with it. But the other thing you mentioned, and this is really important, um, you know, the model of sharing uh, threat intelligence by the ISACs, by other communities, ISAOs, private en enterprises, um, sharing one way is good. If you can start doing that bi-directionally, then it's really powerful. And the technology exists um, with some of the ISACs. We have ISAC members that are now sharing back automatically or even sharing some detection rules and things. And there you have to overcome some uh, almost corporate obstacles that, you know, oh, should we really share? Is this sensitive? Is this legal? And we've got to overcome that because the promise of, say, one enterprise in the pharmaceutical industry gets hit and all of them are alerted within a few minutes, that's collective defense. And that's what we've really got to get to. And that's not a technical hurdle. We, we already do this, but we're finding 10, 15% of ISAC members in some cases are starting to share bi-directionally. So we're really, propose, we're really proponents of that. It's, it's not just a sort of feel good thing. It's, you know, it, it will benefit you <laughs> if you're a part of an industry yep. and everyone in the industry has that frontline information. Um, that's, you know, that's really exciting to us. Yeah. Yeah. No question about that. So as we, um, as we begin to come to a close, sadly, I could talk about this for hours, I'm sure. <laughs> Me um, too. Uh, I, I want to paint a, two pictures, one for organizations that have some, form of threat intelligence as part of their program and the other for teams that don't have this information at, at hand yet. How, how can they fit in what you do with Cyware? So existing companies, how do you fit in? And maybe the first step for a company who has no threat intelligence program uh, to take the first steps. Yeah, and that's a great question. And, um, you know, I, I, I mean, there's a product answer we have. We try to make it as easy as possible. We have offerings for the mid-market, and we're, we're working in that direction. But I'd also say threat intelligence as a service people should, should look at um, because that's evolving pretty quickly. We work with some major GSIs, some of the big um, channel partners that are, that are finding a lot of takers for this. Um, and, you know, you work with experts that can give you the context, give you the right information, just like MDRs. There's some, you know, there's some good ones and some ones that aren't as good. But I think 
it's emerging quickly because people are realizing we've got to get ahead of this. Um, you know, it's not a, if you're always reactive, I mean, look at the classic case of ransomware, you have a very short window <laughs> from when you, when you notice what's happening to when you get to react before damage is done. And that window is missed so often. So we've got to figure out ways to, you know, detect the precursors, understand what's happening out there, understand what these threat actor groups are doing. And, you know, using all of this great threat information from, from dozens of vendors in the space that are, that are finding these very valuable, you know, gems. But that's got to be manageable. It's got to be consolidated. So, you know, at the end of the day, you need a good threat intelligence management platform, whether you take it on yourself or you use a service for it. And that needs to integrate with everything else you do. So I think if you think of it as, well, we're not big enough to have a threat intel team, that's the wrong mindset. It's more that your SOC team, however big or small, should be thinking, where can we get good threat intel? Maybe just start with your ISAC. ISACs were big proponents of that. You know, a lot of valuable stuff you can get there. Um, some of our, you know, we're kind of in a way the conduit for a lot of this stuff. A lot of the technology partners we work with are interested in getting their threat feeds into this ISAC community. So a lot of good information available there. Um, so it's, it's really, how do you start um, incorporating this into your practice and looking ahead um, and not just waiting for the threats um, and, you know, maybe doing enrichment, maybe not. Um, you know, again, enrichment's good, good thing to do. You want to do it. But if you can, if you can get those precursors, it's, you're just in a much better situation. So, you know, I'm a little bit, you know, preaching, obviously, what, what we do. But I think, I think probably my advice is organizations need to not think this isn't for them. This isn't something they can, they can tackle. There are, it's becoming easier. It's becoming better. AI is going to push it along quickly. But at the end of the day, and, and this idea of collective defense, if you join an organization that is sharing information and sharing bi-directionally eventually, that offers the promise of, you know, we're all a team here, literally, and you can get the best threat intel because you're part of whatever it is. You're part of a manufacturing ISAT or you're part of the automotive ISAT or aviation and all these, um, you know, I think that's, that's a path that's really maturing quickly and really advancing and letting, you know, letting midsize and smaller organizations have access to this critical information. Yeah, and I know a lot of uh, CISOs and security leaders lean on the, uh, their, their fellow uh, executives and leaders in, in the industry for information. <laughs> that, yeah. uh, that's a great way to hear about a, a new threat that's coming or a compromise that occurred. That, and I'm not saying don't do that, but that, that can't scale. So the, the bi-directional yeah. collective defense uh, I mean, sounds like a dream to me if I was a CISO. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to take it's going to take a while for it to really spread, but we believe in it firmly. And you know, the you know the, the bad guys are collaborating, right? They're selling tools to each other, they're sharing information, they're doing this at scale. So we've got to figure out a way to you know to collaborate and to get to collective defense. Yeah. And I think that's a it's it's absolutely possible, and we're starting to see it. In, in real life in pockets. Now we need to kind of expand on this idea. Yep. 
collective offense, uh, warrant <laughs> yep. collective defense. Uh, maybe, for, yeah, maybe defense sure. is, is too um, too much of a, <laughs> a reactive word. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so proactive collective offense. Yeah, Very well, cool. I'll think on that one. Nice one. Nice one. Well, Willie, it's uh, it's great to great to connect with you again. Uh, glad to catch catch up and, and to get this story and, and an update on uh, the world of threat intel and and uh, the work you're doing at Cyware to help uh, organization organizations succeed with their programs. Um, I know you're in Las Vegas uh, for a few days for for Black Hat. So if, if folks want to uh, they're listening to this in time and they want to come visit you, you have a booth there. Uh, we have a lounge with coffee and food in, at the House of Blues in Mandalay Bay. So stop by, Perfect. and we'd, be, we'd love to talk to more people about that. Nice one. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll include a link to, uh, to your profile so people can connect with you and uh, a link to your website so they can find you and, and hopefully find you at the show. Of course, uh, after the show, you're always there too. So um, Absolutely. As well. So thanks, everybody, for listening to this uh the story from willie and the cyware team and uh hope you enjoy this stay tuned there's still more coming from uh black hat and uh we'll catch you on the next one thanks again willie thank you sean really enjoyed it we hope you enjoyed this conversation if you learned something new and the story made you think then share itsbmagazine.com with your friends family and colleagues We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.